Hello, everyone. Happy Father's Day. Just before I start, um, the video that they played at the beginning, um, the motto that that finished with uh, is called, um, well, who can remember what it was? Not on my watch. Okay, so uh, just to explain a bit more about this, the video came from a charity that's called Hope for Good. It's a charity that partners with churches in the main um, to reach out to children uh, that are in care to try and find more foster placements and adoption placements because there's not enough in the country. Um, that message there about not on my watch, that really speaks to my heart. That's why uh, myself, Katie, my wife, that's why we do fostering. Um, and the church uh, is very gracious and, and blesses us and supports us in doing that. But that not on my watch, that, that really gets to me. That tells me that I have a role to play in reaching out to the people that desperately need a home or desperately need parents. And uh, hopefully, even if that's not your particular passion, if you can, you can see how much that is such a passion for me and Katie, whatever your passion is, whatever your way of reaching out to those that are lost or hurting or just being a supportive shoulder, whatever it is, I pray, uh, when I see that sort of video, I pray that your passion is ignited just as much as mine is. So I used to think um, Father's Day was so much easier than Mother's Day. Okay? Us blokes are so easier to please. Just, it just made me some cake. I'm happy. I like cake. All right? It's a lot easier than flowers, cars, breakfast in bed, all the things that uh, they have to do for Mother's Day, uh, because blokes I find a lot much easier to please. That was, of course, until today when I was uh, going to be preaching. I think it's now a much harder day. We'll see how we get on. So we're doing a series on counterculture. Okay? We're looking at how the church is called to be different to the culture around us, to be salt and light in a hurting world so that God's glory can be displayed. Uh, Stephen Clare started the series a few weeks ago, and they looked at our identity in Christ. Because we need to know and we need to be certain of who we are in Christ in order so that we can be different to the world around us. It's absolutely crucial. This week, we're looking at the topic of fatherlessness. Okay, I've called this talk, God's Building a Legacy. I'll come on to that in a bit. Just as the devil might lie to us about who we are in Christ, okay, he, like flaming arrows in the verse in Ephesians, he also seeks to destroy us and everything that's good around us. Okay? That's, we look at the culture that's around us. Why is the world so broken? Why are there so many broken families, abused or neglected children, hopelessness and hurting? Why is our culture so broken that we, the church, are called to demonstrate God's light to that darkness, God's hope to that hopelessness, and God's freedom to those that are trapped or lost. Ephesians 6 reminds us that there's a spiritual battle going on around us. Okay, that our fight is not with flesh and blood, but with the rulers and the principalities, the dark powers that govern this world. Okay. In Revelation 12, it, said, it reminds us that the devil came to make war against mankind and to destroy all that God is doing. It says, Now war rose in heaven... 
Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. That's all of mankind. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Why is our culture broken? Well, in part, it's because the devil seeks to destroy anything of God and to tear down what God is building. In this whole series, we're going to look at a number of things. We're going to look at how we guard our marriages so that when so many relationships in in society don't last, if they even start at all. We're going to look at how we display compassion in the face of so much poverty. How we hold on to God's truth when the world around us tells us that there's no such thing as truth anymore or that only science has the answers. In so many different ways, as we'll look through this series, we can see the evidence of a hurting world being broken by destruction and by lies. As I said, the devil seeks to destroy anything of God, anything good that God has built. And today, obviously, as being Father's Day, that includes trying to destroy families. You see in Genesis 2 that God ordained marriage and the blessing of marriage through children. So that's, that's the family that God puts in place. God chooses to work out many of his plans through families. Okay? And so, of course, the devil will want to tear apart families. Fatherlessness, so the, the loss of a father from the family, be that through marital or relationship breakdown, or through a lack of understanding of what it means to be a father, or as we commonly see in society now, unfortunately, a reluctance or an inability to meet the responsibilities of being a husband and a father. All of these are surefire ways to try and destroy God's plans for that family. It's certainly, if you've seen, if you know families that go through that, it causes a lot of pain and hardship. Now, before I go much further, I know this topic is really close to the bone for a lot of us. Okay, the church, we're not immune to the problems of fatherlessness and broken families. I know there are many here that have either had painful, absent, or fractious relationship with their earthly fathers, or have had a fractious relationship with the father of their children or their grandchildren. I just really want to stress that there is no judgment here today. There's only love. There is no blame. There's no should-haves, or if-onlys. If you are someone for whom this topic is raw, or brings to, uh, brings to mind past or even current hurts, then if you hear nothing else today, I need you to hear this. Your Father in heaven sees you. He cares deeply about you. He wants to turn your sorrows into joy And restore to you, in love, that which has been robbed from you. And we, the church, 
we want to love and to accept you as well, no matter what. Okay, that's what we're called to do. So why does the devil want to destroy families through fatherlessness? Because, as I said, it's God who builds families. He builds them in order to display his glory. And it's something that he's always been doing. We're going to have a look at God's covenant with Abraham when he then names him Abraham, which is in Genesis 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. God is building a people that follow him where he is their God and they are his people. They follow his commandments, worshipping him and displaying his glory on earth. We see God repeat his covenant again with David. This is from 2 Samuel 7. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity. I will discipline him with the rod of men. With the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. as As I took it from Saul. Whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The words here, in both of these, from both of these passages, what God is doing is legacy. We, as the church, are part of God's legacy. There's some two billion people on this planet who call themselves now Christian. These are the people of God that started way back with Abraham, just one man. We are Abraham's legacy, ordained and promised by God in Genesis 17. But Abraham almost messed it all up. He he got tired of waiting for God's promise for a son. He had a son instead with Sarah's, his wife's slave girl, Hagar. And they gave birth to Ishmael. And we still have today the legacy of that decision. For those that know, Ishmael's descendants are what we know now as the Arab nations. Uh, From Isaac, 
we get all of Judaism and then Christianity. From Ishmael, we get Islam. And you can see in other parts of Genesis 17, God foretold that Ishmael would be a warrior. And so even now we have perpetual war between these two sets of descendants. Okay? Abraham, he has two legacies, and God's legacy is obviously bigger than the legacy he, he tried to make himself by doing it his own strength. This means for us, all of us, we will all have a legacy as well. And some people will leave a good legacy, and some people in the world leave a bad legacy. Some few, very few, may leave a visible, a public, high-impact legacy, be that good or bad. But most of us might leave just a quiet legacy, unnoticed, but still a legacy. Fatherlessness leaves a legacy, but it's not a good one. It's the wrong one, and it's not what God wants for us. As it says in Jeremiah 29, God has a plan for us to give us a hope and a future. Okay, so these stats show some of the legacy of what fatherlessness does in our culture. Okay. Homelessness and runaways. 90% of homeless people or people that run away from home, this is all children, uh, by the way, 90% don't have a father or didn't have a father. 85% of the children that have behavioural problems don't have a father. 71% of teenage pregnancies. 71% of school dropouts. 85% of young people in prison. I mean, that's quite scary. 85% of the people that are in prison are there because they didn't have, of young people, because they don't have a father in their life. But it's not just about the stats. It's real. And it affects even us in this church. In the wider church as well today. If you just think, there are some pastors preaching today on Father's Day somewhere in London who may have recently buried a child from their congregation who was killed in a gang attack. We could ask ourselves, why? Why, why were they in a gang why can't the government do something? Okay, these are real, obviously, heart-wrenching issues that affect us today. I ask, where are the fathers? Where are the father figures? Part of the role of being a father, part of, is to role model to boys how to, become, how to be men. How to go on to then be husbands and eventually fathers themselves. And also to role model to girls what to look for in a husband. If someone doesn't have a father to role model good and what good looks like, then these London street gangs, they'll happily role model a different way. Fatherlessness doesn't just tear apart the family. It goes on affecting the next generation. And the next generation. Boys that don't know how to be men. They might be able to shave, but they're not really men. Okay? Are destined to repeat the same mistakes of their fathers because they don't know any different. 
The good news today is it doesn't have to be this way. It's not supposed to be this way. Our God saves. Hallelujah. Our God redeems people from bad legacies and gives them new hope. A friend of mine from my last church, this is his testimony. What was once a bad legacy of family breakdown, family breakdown from generation to the next, is now actually transformed by God into a a future of hope and a future of life. His wife comes from a trail of broken families with generations of mental health issues, such that she was told by her mum, just as her mum was told by her mum, she'd never make a good mum, she shouldn't have children, she wouldn't be able to cope, and it would all fall apart. But my friends... And his wife, they trusted that God would make a way. And he absolutely has. They now have four wonderful little girls. And while, yes, it can be hard going, they know that God has broken the legacy of despair and is giving them a legacy of joy. They are not destined to repeat the cycle from their parents that they inherited. God has broken that. And the girls, when they grow up as well, They are not bound by the stuff from their past. I think God would say to us today, whatever we may have come from, whatever our family history and trials, God is still bigger. And he can break those negative legacies and create new ones. He can restore, he can redeem, he can save. So what legacy is God building for you or for your family? For Katie and I, as foster carers, we might not even know the impact we have on the children that stay with us or how that plays out for the rest of their lives. In that sense, we have a hidden legacy. But my vision is for a hundred kids whose lives are hopefully blessed through staying with us and being loved by us. That's our heart, that's, that's our passion. Of course, it's not just in terms of fostering for us. As many of you, you know, I also enjoy helping the kids here in church. I quite like helping them settle in kids' groups so that the parents can then stay in the service for, for the youngest of kids. Phil calls me the Calvin Whisperer sometimes <laughs> because of how much he takes to me. Many other kids just call me Uncle Stu. So I just wanted to share a few thoughts from, just from my perspective. Uh, take these as you will. Okay? I don't pretend that I have all the answers. Okay? My boys are only four and five. Many of your children are much, much older and have children of their own. Okay? And these aren't going to fit every child or every circumstance. Okay, first one, show, not tell. There's a thing in our culture, isn't there, about vicars' daughters, about children of pastors that seem to go off the rails more often than children of other Christians. Part of that clearly is a spiritual attack against those called to lead the people of God. For which we need to pray protection over them. But kids, they also watch and they emulate their parents. If they see us saying one thing on a Sunday but doing something different during the week, 
then they're not going to follow what we tell them. They're going to follow what we show them. If their whole Christian experience as a child is based on being told just Bible stories, Bible stories are good, but if that's all that they have, when they hit their teens and start to question everything, then there's no difference in their mind between the story of David and Goliath and the story of Santa and the Easter Bunny. They're going to reject it. We need to teach our children Bible truths, not just Bible stories. We need to show them what forgiveness looks like, what repentance looks like, what pray without ceasing, or whatever you do, do for the glory of God, what they look like. It's about showing them, not just telling them. The next point as Christ loved the church. So this is from Ephesians 5. It's actually an instruction to husbands for how to relate to their wives. But I think it also, to some extent, applies to how fathers should relate to their children. There's, there's probably a lot of controversy about the, the other verse that's in Ephesians 5, which is for wives submitting and obeying their husbands. Uh, and I know certainly in, in some circles that's seen as quite a hard thing to, to get their heads around. But I think this verse for, for husbands can be even harder. Because it says, we need to love our wives like, we love, like Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? He died. Okay, what this verse says to me is to put my wife and my family's needs before mine. I may have to sacrifice my comfort, my dreams, my desires in order to meet their needs. The next point then, fight battles early. So lots of times it's easier, I think, to do things ourselves rather than watch kids trying to have a go, take forever, mess it up. We take a risk, for example, when we let them scoot to school rather than hold their hand. But I find that if we take those risks early, rather than the easy option, then they do eventually get it. And not only that, by learning those skills and lessons early, when the next challenge comes along, they're ready to face that, rather than still trying to learn the first lesson. I think this is particularly true when we're teaching our children about the dangers of the world around us. What age would you say is the right age to speak to your son about pornography or about your to your daughter about sexting? Never? Because it's too embarrassing? Maybe about thirteen or fourteen, because that's when the school does it, and we can just leave it to them. Now the time to tell them about it is before they get told about it by their friends, which is actually on average about the age of nine. If we leave it to when they're 14, it's far too late. They've already made up their minds. Whatever life lessons we're trying to impart to them, they'll just ignore. The same goes for drugs or smoking or alcohol. We want to teach them the right way, the the godly way of dealing with the dangers of the world around us. We need to do that early, fight the battles early, so we have more chance to win. They have more chance to win. So as an example of this, our first 
uh, foster placement was a five-year-old girl who had behaviour problems and was often mean to my two boys, Daniel and Jonathan. But they learned at a young age that not everyone in the world is nice and friendly. That's quite a good life lesson to learn. But they also learn what it means to forgive. And that's an even better life lesson for them to learn at that age. The next point then, be the scariest thing that they know. Anyone that knows my boys know they're utterly fearless. Okay, they don't really do shy. This isn't necessarily about me scaring them. It's about giving them confidence, expanding their comfort zone, so that nothing out there is as scary. Because they trust Daddy to keep them safe, just as we trust in God our Father to keep us safe. Dads are quite good at teaching their kids about risk. There's been many times when Katie's had to look away while we climb trees or I swing them in the air, but it's giving them that confidence that they need um, later on in life. And a healthy understanding of risk is actually safer for them in the long term because they can handle, they know their limits, they can handle themselves. Okay, the last point then, always ask why. And this isn't about the annoying child that just goes, why, why, why? This is about understanding the root causes of what's going on. When children misbehave, something is causing that behaviour. It's our job to find out what that is and deal with the underlying cause, not always the behaviour itself. Children actually aren't in control of their behaviour. Not really. They're just, there are no bad children, just bad behaviours. Now, this is quite a big topic. I don't really have... I'm not going to go into it too much now. But if you're, looking, if you're interested and you want to explore this further, this is something that we do as, as foster carers. Um, if you want to look up about therapeutic parenting or therapeutic reparenting, or if you want, you can speak to me or Katie afterwards. So after all that, then, what's your legacy? It doesn't just have to be in terms of raising a godly family. You might have a legacy of answered prayers. You might have a legacy of compassion for the poor or the lost. You might have a, build a legacy of lives impacted through teaching or through raising godly leaders. Whatever it is, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. For when we do good in his name, we're adding to his glorious legacy. And we're ending bad legacies caused by the sins of the past. And this is something we can all do not just for the fathers here today. Often the, the church is likened to an army. In fact, we did it, we did it in the second song. And uh, Nathan was playing the snare, rat-a-tat, like an army. Banners waving, marching on. Onward Christian soldiers. Yes, we've all done this. There's someone myself who's, who's actually in the army and who's gone off to war. I often smile at this, this metaphor because the army really isn't like that anymore. It is a good metaphor. It is a helpful one sometimes. But for me, a better picture of what the church is like is actually of an army hospital. People come in wounded, hurt, broken by the outside world. We, as the church, are the doctors and nurses that administer compassion, acceptance, and practical help. God is the chief surgeon. He saves lives. He does heart surgery. Some of us might be those that go back out into no man's land to find lost souls and bring them back to the hospital. And then once we've been patched up and we've been equipped, we go back out 
into the trenches, as it were, to fight the enemy who's still seeking to destroy us. None of us here are perfect. Okay? We all might still carry the scars, physically and emotionally, of past hurts or current trials. But we can support each other, and we can testify to our Father in heaven, who pours out grace, mercy, love, and healing in abundance to all that call on him. In a minute, we're going to have an opportunity to spend some time with our Father in heaven on Father's Day. We are not fatherless. Our Father knows us. He loves us. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, there's now nothing between us and God, our Father. We can approach the throne completely and directly and come into his presence. So that's, I think, what I want to spend the last few minutes for us to do. So I just pray. Do you want to stand to your feet? Yeah, Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. God, we thank you that we can approach your throne. We can approach you, our Father, and we can come into your presence. And we can bask in your glory. We can worship you in spirit and truth. Lord God, would you pour out your spirit on this place? Lord, would you come and minister to us through your spirit? Lord God, that we might know you more. That we might draw down from you more. Amen.